Anybody ready for the word of the Lord? Yes. yes. Victor's going to read in Espanol, and then I'm going to read in, in English. Okay. All right, you ready? Okay. Oh, hold on. We are in Matthew chapter 14, in verse, starting at verse 22. So if you have your Bibles, go there. Hopefully you charged up your Bibles this morning. <laughs> Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. When you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there, say hold up. <coughs> we're going to wait on you because we're a patient church. We waited five years on you. We'll wait five more. All right, we're going to read. Okay, go ahead. Jesús anda sobre el mar. Enseguida Jesús hizo a, a sus discípulos entrar en la barca e ir delante de él a la otra ribera, entre tanto que él despedía a la multitud. Despedida la multitud, subió al monte a orar aparte, y cuando llegó la noche, estaba allí solo. Y ya la barca estaba en medio del mar, azotada por las olas, porque el viento era contrario. Mas a la cuarta vigilia de la noche, Jesús vino a ellos andando sobre el mar. Y los discípulos, viéndole andar sobre el mar, se turbaron diciendo, un fantasma, y dieron voces de miedo. Pero enseguida Jesús les habló diciendo, ten ánimo, yo soy, no temáis. Entonces le respondió Pedro y dijo, Señor, si eres tú, manda que yo vaya a ti sobre las aguas. Y él dijo, ven. Y descendiendo Pedro de la barca, andaba sobre las aguas para ir a Jesús. Pero al ver el fuerte viento, tuvo miedo y comenzó a hundirse. Dio voces diciendo, Señor, ayúdame. Al momento Jesús, extendiendo la mano, asió de él y le dijo, hombre de poca fe, ¿por qué dudaste? Y cuando ellos subieron a la barca, se calmó, la se calmó el viento. Entonces, los que estaban en la barca dieron, vieron y adoraron diciendo, verdaderamente, este, eh, este es el Hijo de Dios. I give it up for Victor. Thank you. Victor. Victor. Got to keep that with you. The devil out there. You got to be ready. <laughs> Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowd... He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And he cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, 
it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. As we reflect upon the fact that we have been in existence five years, uh, we are quickly to accredit all of that to you. Apart from your grace, apart from your mercy, and apart from the sustaining ability of your word, we would not be here today. And so, Father, as we sit under the authority, preaching, and teaching of your word, we submit our hearts to you. We pray that you would transform us and that we will not just be informed, but that we will be transformed by the word of God. Do your work, Holy Spirit. We pray that you will move in this place according to your grace. It is in Jesus' name I pray. And all of Bethel Gary said, I was in the car driving the other day when Lauren Hill came on the radio. And man, I love to listen to some Lauren Hill. Anybody in the room know who Lauren Hill is? Sister Act, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. Lauren Hill, Lauren Hill. And here's what came through my speakers and into my ears and sent my mind running. Can't take my eyes off of you. You're just too good to be true. I can't take my eyes off of you. You be like heaven to touch. Hold on to yourself now. I want to hold you so much. At long last, love has arrived, and I thank God I'm alive. You're just too good to be true. I can't take my eyes off of you. This song set my mind running back down memory lane as I consider what has happened over these past five years. Back in 2014, when this church was first planted, I remember this building before before it was remodeled. I I remember us cleaning and and clearing this space uh, for ministry. I I remember y'all wasn't here, and y'all may not believe me, but I was was pulling down ceiling towels with with, with 30-year-old dust in them. I, I, I remember there's an ugly orange floor up under this carpet, believe it or not. I remember this room when it was a dusty lunchroom, but it is almost too good to be true to see all that has unfolded over the past five years. This building has went from hosting no life to life and more important, new life in Christ. But friends, it's almost too good to be true. We have had children clear this building after the exiting of the Boys and Girls Club, only to fill it back up again with City Life Center, who hosts 
130 children a week and giving them hot meals. Can we give God glory for that? It's just too good to be true. We have went to no church, to full worship team, to children's ministry, to Awana, to Verge, to outreach, to worship, to friendships being built, hope given. Yes, there's been crying as well. And there has been times where we wept and there has been times of disappointment. There has been times in this building, in this place, by this body, where salvation has been received, that baptisms has happened. And all of this is almost too good to be true, but all has been possible because of the God that we serve. All has been possible not because, Bethel Gary, we have been faithful to God, but because he has been faithful to us and has kept us faithful to him, faithful to his gospel. Bethel Gary, it is important to continue to vow to be a church that is all about Jesus. A church that preaches God's gospel and lives like we believe his gospel. For he has made all that we have seen, all that we have experienced happen. All that we have accomplished is because of Almighty God. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad to be alive and to be a joyful partner of the Almighty God of the universe. Well, I guess you say, what about the next five years, Pastor? What will the next five years look like? Well, I can't tell you exactly what the next five years will be like. But I can tell you this, if you want to continue to see the too good to be true happen, we must keep our eyes on him. Bethel Gary, we have started a good work here, but friends, it's not enough to start a good work. We are called to complete a good work. I believe God has more work for us as a church to do in this city. And we can all agree in this room, it is easy to start a good work. It is harder to continue a good work. Moreover, to complete a good work. It's easy to start a new diet. I thought I would have got an amen somewhere out there. But it's tough to stick to it when you crave those Oreos. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry. It's easy... <laughs> It's easy to start a new exercise program, but it is tough to persevere when your aching muscles are screaming no more. I, I know I get an amen or I get an ouch on this next one. It's easy to get married. Let me go and drink some water. Y'all going to be real with me one way or another. It's tough to hang in there and work through problems over a lifetime. It's easy to join a local church. It's tough to keep your eyes on God when problems arise or when the results don't match your initial expectations. It's easy to get out of the boat and walk on water, but it's harder to keep your eyes on Jesus when you're on the water. 
But if we're going to make it another five, all eyes on him. Friends, I want to preach from that thought. All eyes on him. Not on, on him. Friends, why is it important that we keep our eyes on Jesus? I'm glad you asked, but if you don't mind, I want to step out of the way and I want to allow Peter to answer that question. Yes, Peter. Yes, yes, yes. Handpicked Peter by Jesus himself. Peter who walked with Jesus for his entire earthly ministry. Peter, Peter, Peter that appraised God in church and cussed you out by the time he got to the parking lot. Peter, Peter, I'm talking about Peter who invented, concealed, and carried Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter who would, who would, who, who would be willing to kill somebody over Jesus and then the next minute act like he ain't know Jesus. Y'all ain't never been like that. Y'all ain't fickle like that. One minute you ready to take the city for Jesus? You wake up tomorrow morning, Lord, I don't even know if you with me this morning. You go and ain't no milk in the fridge or your cereal, and you start doubting God. Peter, Peter, you is crazy. So, all right, Peter who practiced concealing carry before it was ever invented. And so I want this Peter, Peter who was close to Jesus, to tell us, to convey to us this morning, Peter, why is it so important? For the church to keep his eyes on him. I'll give you the passage again. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he, was dis- while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against him. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the winds, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What's the context here? Jesus has just been offered the crown, but without the cross. He's fed 5,000, and he sent them away. And now he sends the disciples ahead of him to Bethesda, and he stays behind to pray. Friends, I just want to park that for a moment because if Jesus took time out of his ministry to pray, you know good and well that you ought to take time out of your day to get before the Father and pray. Oh, I wish we would restore the importance of prayer in the church. Friends, we wonder sometimes and we marvel at the saints of old and we wonder how they were able to get through so much. Friends, it ain't, it ain't complicated. It ain't no formula. They made it through by staying on their knees. Jesus is praying here. And he's praying and he's not worried about getting to where he needs to be because the boat has left him. He can't call no Uber. He can't call no Lyft. 
And quite frankly, we're going to find out that he didn't need either or. But oh, that the church would pray. So disciples are in the boat in the middle of the lake. They have been rowing. Most commentaries say they've been rowing that boat since Jesus sent them off for about 10 hours now. By the time Jesus gets to them, it's about 3 a.m. in the morning. I don't know about you, but church starting at 10 sounds a whole lot better now. And it seems like every time the disciples are in the boat, it's time for another test. It seems like as you go through Scripture, as you, as, as you look at the pages of Scripture, every time they're in the boat, God got another test for them as if the boat was their own spiritual classroom. Like Jesus wanted to teach them something every time they were on water. But I don't know about you, but God, I don't want no test at 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, Maybe you could have did it a little later. Maybe you could have did it sooner. But 3 a.m. in the morning. If you give me a test at 3 a.m., I'm going to fail that test. Okay, y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Hey, your spouse ain't never tested you at 3 a.m. in the morning. How did you do on that test when somebody wakes you out of your sleep? How, how do you do on that test when somebody wakes you up 3 a.m. in the morning? And Jesus decides that he wants to teach them a lesson. And what is the lesson? All eyes on me. Class, if, if I, the preacher, am saying it is important that we keep our eyes on Jesus, you, the student, should be asking, why is it important we keep our eyes on Jesus? We assume it's obvious, but our lives would display not so much. At times, our church would display not so much. And if you're anything like me every now and again, I, needed to, I need to be reminded where, I, where my eyes need to be. Why should all eyes be on Jesus? Here it is, church. Hold on to yourselves. Here it is. Get ready for it. All eyes need to be on Jesus because Jesus is God. I know you're expecting something a little bit more profound and prolific. I know, I know, but that's all I got. The main reason that we ought to keep our eyes on Jesus is because Jesus is God. Does not this miracle of walking on water reveals that he is God? By the way, The point of the miracle on walking on water is not so we can marvel at the miracle or even build our faith on the miracle. But miracles are like John the Baptist. They are not the main point. They come to point to the main point. We must never get hung up on miracles or set our eyes on miracles. Instead, we only set our eyes on miracles to the degree that they'll teach us about Jesus. Our eyes are always looking for Jesus. Miracles are like glasses. They help us to see, but glasses are not the main point. Seeing is the main point. Miracles must decrease so that Jesus may increase. And I'm not talking quantity. But what I'm saying is that Jesus ought to be so valuable to you that even if he doesn't give you the miracle, that you still find him lovely, that you still find him beautiful, that you still find him satisfying. Here's the question I ask when I consider miracles in the Bible. What are they revealing about Jesus? Here it is. Jesus is walking on water. 
What can we learn about Jesus? We learn in the first place from this miracle what absolute dominion our Savior has over all created things. I thought you would have shouted louder than that. We see him walking on the sea as if it was dry land. Those angry waves which tossed the ship of his disciples to and fro obey the Son of God and become a solid floor under his feet. Demer is walking on water like it's a rock. Jesus makes the sea into a glass floor. What's the lesson here? Jesus is Lord over creation. People in science will tell us, this is what they will say, that for material flesh and blood to walk on water is physically impossible. And here's the dilemma. In the earlier chapters of John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is flesh and blood, but yet he's walking on water. There's a dilemma here. Human beings are not supposed to be walking on water. I mean, y'all just be y'all Bibles, I got to slow up. <laughs> Hold up. I ain't never seen a brother in Gary, Indiana walking on water. If I did, if I did, if I, if I did see a brother walking on water, <laughs> I'm probably have some stuff a pastor shouldn't have. I just, if I seen a brother, <laughs> If I see the brother walking on water, I'm gone. I ain't going to lie. Y'all ain't seen me run so fast, boy, I jump so many gates. I'll be out of that. Well, here it is. He's walking on water. Human beings are not supposed to walk on water. This is supposed to be impossible. But Jesus wasn't just a man. He was the God man. You have got to be something more than human to walk on water. If you go back to John, it says this, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word Well, I'm trying to contain myself. I am, I am. I got a long way to go. But it says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the Word was God, but it gets better. He was in the beginning with God. Here it is. All things were made through him. That's ex nihilo power. That's out of nothing power. That means that the word was here before anything else was here, before there was water, before there was air, before there was cells, before there was bacteria or viruses or mountains. Jesus was. I know, I know. We didn't got too sophisticated. We got too many school books and we got too many degrees. But I don't know about you, but I'm still caught up on two words. God is. I'm still hung up on the ism of God. That God ain't got a beginning and he ain't got an end. When your children ask you, where did God come from? You say, sweetie, God ain't come from nowhere. God always was, always is, and always will be. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is who he is. And he got to be God because he walking on water. 
shouldn't surprise you that God could walk on water because who decided that water will be wet? God put the wet in water. Water doesn't confine him. He confines water. Not only does he confine it, he defines it. And so if he want to redefine it for his purposes, he can do it. He can put solid in water if he needs to put solid in water. This is why when he comes across the water and they thought it was a ghost and they were scared out of their mind. What does Jesus proclaim from the water? He says, it is I. Y'all didn't catch it because y'all don't know it in the Greek because you can actually translate it like this. Watch yourself. I am. Now, when you say I am, not impressive. Because if you were saying it, you would be saying I am drowning. But when he says I am. Y'all got to excuse me for a minute. It takes me back to the backside of the desert. Y'all remember Moses. Yeah, Moses at the burning bush. He walks up to the burning bush and, and, and inquires about God's name. And the reason why he would inquire about God's name, because he lives in a polytheistic society where they believe that there was many gods. But God had to tell Moses that you came to the one true God. You came to the I am God, which means I'm water when you need me to be water. I'm light when you need me to be light. I'll be a river in the desert when you need me to be a river in the desert. We got to get out of this being cute and showing up for church and worship him for who he is. Friends, you can't put your eyes on God. You can't put your eyes on Jesus if you don't believe he's God. You and I need to know that Jesus is God. And because he is God, there is nothing created which is not under his control. All things serve Jesus. For from him and to him and through him are all things. I see you miss your shout again. You missed it again, but I'll play it back for you. He may allow us to be tried for a season and tossed to and fro by the storms of trouble. He might not come when we want him, but he's always on time. We forget that the winds and the waves and the storms serve Jesus. He walked on water so that we would keep our eyes on him. He is showing us just how great he is, and by doing that, giving us comfort, Bethel Gary. What is he saying? No matter what you go through as a church, I got this. I got this. There will be times at the church when the way looks foggy and it appears we are running out of road, but Jesus says, all eyes on me. This is why when they saw him and, 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 and they were afraid, he reminded them all eyes on me. I love my two-year-old daughter because she helps me to understand this. I love little Lila. Thank you, sweetie, for all the, all the illustrations you give your daddy. My two-year-old helps me to understand this. When she can't reach or figure something out, she brings her frustrations to me. Why? Because she needs someone greater than herself to help her. And I love it because when she comes to me, 
She sets her eyes on me, and her father, who is greater than her, works it out. And guess what? And guess what happens when Lila gets to daddy? She stops searching for anything else. Friends, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is that as a church, we ain't got to search for anybody or nobody else. Long as we got King Jesus, here's the song, I don't need nobody else. He's more than enough. But here's what I love about Lila. She don't marvel. No, no, no. She don't marvel at what daddy did. She marvels at who did it. And friends, that's our is that we want to marvel at the miracles of Jesus without marveling at Jesus himself. What I'm trying to say is this, is that you can experience outside miracles and not experience Jesus. Okay, you didn't catch me. Are you okay if Jesus opens your eyes but you can't see him. Okay, you didn't catch me still. Are you okay if Jesus gives you ears to hear, but you can't hear his word in faith? Okay, you didn't catch me yet. What I'm trying to say is that if you ain't got Jesus, you ain't got nothing. But if you got Jesus, you got everything that you need. All eyes on him. We understand why we need to keep our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is God. But what is the result of a church that sets their eyes on Jesus? Brother Gary, the power of this church is Jesus. No Jesus, no power. The church is not empowered by people as cute as you are. You are not the reason this church is still standing. The church is not empowered by money. I know there's a lot of teaching out there. That, that, that make money the focus, but, but the church is not empowered by money. The church is not empowered by talent. And there's some talented and gifted people in here, but the church ain't in existence because you're talented, but the church is empowered by the spirit of the living God. You can have all that, but without Jesus, the church is dead. The church is not even empowered by faith. We have a lot of teachings out there that teach we should have faith in faith. But faith needs an object. Now, you can sit your faith wherever you want to sit your faith. But just because you put your faith in something doesn't mean it has the power to do for you what you believe it to do. You can believe our coffee dispensers can make Starbucks coffee. But you know what? They have no power to do so, and your faith has no power to make it happen. The power is not contingent on faith, but the object of the faith. This is why Peter gets out of the boat, and before he gets out of the boat, what does Peter do? He identifies the object. Watch it. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. What's Peter doing? He's checking the object to see if the object is reliable to hold him up on the water. If Peter has stepped out of that boat with faith in himself or to walk on the water, for the rest of Matthew, there'll be no mention of Peter. <laughs> so Peter asks to be called out and Jesus says what? Come. Let us learn, class. Let us learn. Christ empowered churches that believe in him. 
We see this clearly in Peter getting out of the boat. We see Simon Peter coming down out of the ship and walking on the water like his Lord. To walk on the sea himself was a mighty miracle. And we get all caught up. Look at Peter. He's walking on water. Don't get caught up in Peter. Peter ain't the main point of the story. What's impressive is that not only can Jesus walk on water, but he can take a sinner, weak rebel and make him walk on water. You missed your shout. Some of you guys should have been seeking a long time ago. But because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you have ever think of, you're walking on water today. Some of you should have drowned by your marriage. You should have drowned by your finances. But God has been able to keep you walking on what you know good and well you shouldn't be walking today. You know you should have drowned a long time ago. You know there's some situations that should have took you out a long time ago. You've been to some parties that should have took you out a long time ago. You've been in situations that should have took you out a long time ago. But because we serve a God that has the ability to take his power and put it on his people, we're still standing. When we consider these accomplishments in these five years, we dare not marvel at ourselves. We are extremely selfish by nature. We have not been 100% faithful to God, and we have not loved each other perfectly. We do not always pray or read our word. We fall short in so many areas, yet we are walking on water. There are some things that should have took this church under a long time ago, but yet this church is walking on water because God has been gracious. Dr. Gary, if we keep our eyes on God, there will be nothing we cannot do. I believe God causes his people Walk on water. But if you're like me, I got a question. Pastor, how do we know if our eyes are on him? I'm so glad you asked that question. We'll know our eyes are on him because we'll get out of the boat. Okay, let me say it another way. We'll get out of the church. Friends, true faith walks in obedience. I love the way Warren Risby says it. A faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. I believe God can do the impossible. I believe God can save people in this community. I believe God will give us those in front of the liquor store down the street if we believe that God can do the impossible. I believe that God will raise up godly officials and godly teachers. I believe that God can restore young men and turn them into awesome fathers, into awesome husbands. I believe that God can take young women and turn them into awesome mothers and and awesome businesswomen. I believe that God can do the impossible. But if you say you believe them, at some point, you got to get out of the boat and walk on water because faith that don't take a step ain't faith at all. True faith, friends, starts walking on water. True faith starts believing God and doing the impossible. I believe God can do the impossible. And I believe God wants to use Bethel Gary to do it. 
I believe God wants to use us to do the impossible. But what is it going to take to get out of the boat? All eyes on him. I love the way Mueller puts it. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man power ends. Let me say it another way. Faith doesn't operate on the boat. There is no glory for God on the boat. Faith begins on top of the water. No worries. When all eyes on him, all power is on us. Let me say it again. You missed your shout again. When all eyes are on Christ, all power is on us. Let us be honest. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Let's be real. We are not always walking on water. No, 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 no. We're not always walking on water. We at times are going under the water. You ain't never been gasping for air. You ain't never stepped out in faith. And doubt kind of crept in on you a little bit. That ain't never, that, that ain't never happened to you. I, I'm the only one. I guess I pat my own self on the back. I guess I'm the only one that's been through some things in the room. But I ain't always walking on water. My faith ain't always where it should be. I don't always trust him the way that I should. But friends, we got two options in this church. We can either put our eyes on Jesus or we can put our eyes on ourselves. Either all eyes on him or all eyes on us, and both yield two different results. Some of y'all been at this church for the entire five years, and y'all know this church ain't always been walking on water. There's been some times we've been kicking and screaming, <laughs> clawing and scratching, biting and growling. We ain't always been on top of the water. Let us learn in the third place from this miracle how much trouble disciples bring on themselves by unbelief. We see Peter walking boldly on the water for a little way, but watch what happens. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He got his eyes off of Jesus, and what happened? He began to drown. But what is more important is how it happened. He got distracted. This is huge, church, because Satan doesn't have to destroy us. He just got to distract us. And a distracted church is a church that Satan ain't got to worry about. Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat, but not enough faith to keep going. When resistance came, his faith left. Friends, Satan's not going to quit because we made it five years He doesn't care about us celebrating and blowing up some balloons. He knows if we get our eyes off of Jesus, the ship is going down. Satan desires to distract your faith. He wants us to not trust Christ who called us out of the boat in the first place. Listen, church, it is not. The church is in its most dangerous place when it stopped beholding Jesus as the Lord before them. This is, the, this is the Israelites, remember? They make it out of Egypt. They make it out of bondage, but they don't make it into the promised land. Why? They took their eyes off God. 
Here it is. They, 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 uh, they, uh, they are close to getting to the promised land. God has done a ton of miracles. He's sitting locusts. He's turned the river into blood. He didn't kill the firstborn of all of Egypt. He didn't spread at the Red Sea. He brought them out to the other side. And now God is getting ready to take them into the promised land. And what do they do? They send spies over to the promised land. The spies go and check out the promised land. They look it out. They say, oh, it looks good. It looks great. They come back to Moses. They come back to Moses, read a report. Hey, Mo, we've been over to the promised land. It's dope. It's all that in a bag of chips. We can't wait to get there, but we got a dilemma. What's your dilemma, says Moses? Our dilemma is that the people in the land are bigger than us, and we can't take the land and see. You see the issue here. When we take our eyes off of God, our situation look bigger than God, and all of a sudden, we lose out on things that God had for us because we stopped believing him. But church, what I'm trying to tell you is that if you set your eyes on God, your situation is not so big because what I don't understand is how are they bigger than you when you got a God that's bigger than you. You got a God that spread at the Red Sea. You got a God that... I'm trying to tell you that your situation may not back up for you, but they'll back up for God. Oh, I got to illustrate it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I remember when I was young, there was a couple fights that I started. I started one and somebody finished it. Another guy started one and I finished it. And this guy, he was he was threatening me. He said, after school, I'm going to get you. And the whole time, my mind was running, getting ready for the fight after school. And the guy was getting ready to approach me. And all of a sudden, my big brother came from around the corner. And he said, you was going to do what to my brother? He was like, that ain't your brother. That is my brother. And what happened after that? The brother said, oh, we was just talking. We weren't about to fight or anything like that. <laughs> Friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that the situation may not back up for you, but you got a big brother in heaven that when the situation and problems see him, they begin to back up because Jesus is bigger than anything that this church will ever face. And as long as Jesus got our back, Satan be saying, we, just, we was just talking. All eyes on him. But if you're going to truly keep your eyes on God, we have to rest ultimately in the fact that his eyes are on us. The confidence, church, is not that our eyes are on God, but that God's eyes are on us. I love this part. Let us learn in the last place from this miracle how merciful our Lord Jesus is to weak believers. We see him stretching forth his hand immediately to save Peter. As soon as Peter cried to him, he does not leave him to reap the fruit of his own unbelief and sink in deep waters. He only seems to consider his trouble and to think of nothing so much as delivering him from it. This is good, church. Can I be honest? Can I be honest? If God wasn't gracious and merciful, he would have let us drown a long time ago. I'm so grateful that you ain't got to beg God to be merciful. You ain't got to plead with him to be gracious. 
Because it's in his nature to be gracious. You know that dogs bark because they're dogs. You know that cats meow because they're cats. You know people lie because they're liars. And you know God is good because God is good. And I'm so thankful that when I look at this miracle and I see Peter's faith give out, and when he calls out the name of Jesus, Jesus come running to him. That's the testimony of all of us in this church. We were drowning and we called out Jesus. And out of nowhere, when you couldn't find him, when you couldn't spot him with your eyes, his eyes were on you. And all of a sudden, God reached down and pulled you out of your sin, pulled you out of your doubt, pulled you out of your unbelief. I'm so grateful. Okay, maybe you ain't never been there. You ain't never been there. You ain't got time to be cute when you drowning. You ain't got time to be trying to think of cute theology. You ain't got time to be going through soteriology and anthropology. Sometimes all you can muster up is, Lord, save me. And I found being a pastor all this time now that sometimes I ain't got no cute theology. School ain't teach me this. The books didn't teach me this. God has taught me that when the church is going down, you better get on your knees and say, God, save me. And God comes running to you and he pulls you out. You say, Pastor, how you know we gonna be okay another five years? How you know we gonna be all right another five years? This is how I know, church, because he came too far and he paid too much to let us drown. Here it is. About a year ago, me and my family took a trip to Disney World and oh, what a trip it was. Loved it, enjoyed every bit of it. But here's the crazy part. We pay all this money to get down to Disney World. I mean, thousands of dollars to get to Disney. I'm still recovering from it, church. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> all this money to get down to Disney World. And y'all know how it is. If you didn't spend all this money, you don't want to spend no more money. And so we pull up to the parking lot. And when I get to the parking lot, they're talking about another $30 to $50. And I look over at my wife and say, I don't want to get him another $30 to $50, but I came too far not to pay that little price. Friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus came too far. He left heaven and he came down to earth. He came through 42 generations to get us. He came too far to give up on us. And God paid the price so that you and I may be set free. And if he'll pay the big price, you better believe good and well that God's not going to give up on Bethel Gary because he paid too much to buy us from the grave, to buy us from our sin, to buy us from our situation. God came too far and paid too much. They hung him high. And they stretched them wide. And for you and me, he died. But on the third day, on the third day, on the third day, he rose with all power in his hands. And he looked at his disciples when he got up 
and he said, check it out. I'm going to give you some confidence because I got a mission for you. Here's your confidence. All authority on heaven and earth have been given unto me. Friends, we're going to make it because God is on our side. And this is just not for the collective church. This is for you individually. All eyes on him. No matter what you're going through, no matter your circumstance, no matter your situation, put your eyes on Jesus. This is what I love at the end. When Jesus gets back in the boat with his disciples, there was nothing else left to do when they concluded that he's God and that he's over all creation. What did they do? They worshiped him. The church exists to worship God. That's why he saved you. That's why he called you. That you will worship him. And what Satan wants to do is he wants us to stop worshiping God. And he does it in many ways in many fashions. Church, my encouragement to us these next five years is not all eyes on the pastor, not all eyes on the elders, not all eyes on the deacons, not all eyes on the children's ministry, not all eyes on what we say, not all eyes on your circumstance, not all eyes on your situation, not all eyes on those who would try to thwart God's plans. Not all eyes on your enemies. Not all eyes on those things that come against us. The word of God says no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The Bible says that when the devil comes in like a flood, that God will lift up a standard against him. Friends, my encouragement to this church and for the next five years and all the way till eternity until we're seated around his throne with our crowns seated by his feet until we're prostrate on the floor in eternal glory. Until then, all eyes on him who is able to keep us. Father, this morning, we don't just celebrate five years, we celebrate you. We celebrate your grace. We celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate your steadfast love. Because you've been good to Bethel Gary.